Good morning. Yeah, slight surgery Tuesday. Thank you for your prayers. Appreciate that. And uh, hopefully it's days or weeks and not months of recovery. So it'll be a quick one. Uh, if you have a Bible, grab it. Get ready to open up to the book of Exodus. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get one to you. We need one up here. Hey, Zach, you want to do me a favor? Zach, since you were just up grabbing a Bible, can you grab another one and bring one up here for me? Thank you. Anybody else? I want to make sure we don't miss one. I want to make sure we get Bibles in your hands. Good. And as you're, uh, as you're doing that, Zach, when you bring it forward, I'll point out where you need to go with it. I want you to think back to those family stories that you enjoy around the table. Family get-togethers. Right up here. Thanks. And uh, what stories get passed around the table? Family get-togethers. Maybe it's just uh, a few relatives, whatever. Maybe it's just... One or two, maybe it's a whole house, and these stories start going around. I mean, every family has a set of beloved stories they tell over and over. Maybe it's how Grandpa came from, uh, uh, out, from out of this country with $5 in his pocket, and next thing you know, their family got started here in the United States. Uh, maybe it's an ancestor who fought in a famous battle. It might be the story of a romance, child's rescue, and maybe a moment of accomplishment. What stories are the ones that get passed around in your house? For us, it's Uncle Owen. You know, Uncle Owen, there's something about him. I don't know how he did this, but we still tell the story how he opened up the car door and was looking back, back in the car out of the garage and somehow got his head stuck between the car and the door. And we don't know, but it's a great story to tell. And uh, that's Uncle Owen. He had a lot of those kind of stories. Uh, we tell the stories about how my brother Mark nearly lost his leg in an auger when he's doing chores out the farm. Uh, we laugh hard. We talk about the Wright-Patterson Air Force Bay, um, Base Museum where my brothers and family, we took a family vacation and there was something funny that happened in the bathroom with all my brothers and uh, we still laugh to this day about it. And We recall the blizzard of the 70s and how for four Sundays in a row we missed church because of the weather. Uh, it's unbelievable. We always talk about walking through the bean fields, pulling weeds, doing the cleaning out the hog pens and all that kind of stuff, and we give Dad a hard time for making us work, and, but in reality, we're so thankful that we had the opportunity to work, uh, to learn what it meant to do chores. In some ways, those stories that we remember and we, we tell around the table or at the couch, in the living room, wherever it may be, on a drive somewhere, uh, those stories that we tell shape us. They tell a little bit about our history. They explain where we come from. They shed light on who we are. Sometimes they guide us in the steps that we take forward in life. There's a lot of great stories that we tell. And maybe on the way home today from church, you can say, do you remember when? And you can maybe tell one of those stories. But that's why the Bible is so important to read. One of the reasons why the Bible is so important to read is because it's, it's a story about all of us, for all of us. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, you know, we're going through now retelling some of the stories in the Bible. And I've encouraged you and challenged you and said, hey, go for it and watching that, uh, that television series that started last week called The Bible. Monday morning on ABC News, they reported over 13 million viewers watched it. It was the number one miniseries started. I thought that was way cool. Um, and I know and there's skeptics out there. It's like, oh, well, they didn't tell the one story, right? It's like, I know. Remember Sunday morning? You know, it's like, well, they weren't there. I guess I can't tell them that. But what I did tell them was what they told us in this whole series was it's not going to be a theologically accurate word for word with the Bible 
because they're producing this for the purpose of getting people into the Bible to read it. They're going to be as accurate as possibly can be. But here's the challenge. When you see a story, because you're going to see some tonight um, with Samson, I think, and you'll see some with Joshua, and you're going to wait. Hey, wait a minute. Matter of fact, we're going to show a clip towards the middle of the service about Rahab. And you're going to say, no, wait a minute. Didn't it happen the other? And you're going to, this is what you do. Come on, check that out, okay? And you open up your Bibles and you read. And here's, it's the neat thing because people are going to get drawn back into God's Word to read the incredible stories. I didn't know that story. was in, It's in there. Really? Yeah. Turn to Genesis. They turn there and they find it. So it's an incredible uh, moment. Whether you can go to History Channel, Lifetime on Monday, there's online applications, there's uh, different places you can go to catch some of this if you haven't caught it on Sunday night. If you have a DVR, you can tape it and watch it during the day, the next uh, couple of days when you have time. Uh, but I encourage you to sort of follow along with that. So, with that being said, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Genesis and then Exodus. Exodus chapter 1. Now, last week we left off with Abraham and Isaac. And uh, you remember the touching scene we saw with Abraham taking his son Isaac up on the mountain to be sacrificed. Incredible scene. Incredible scene. Um, but what happened after all that? I mean, that was supposedly like 1991 B.C., okay? But what happened after Isaac? Well, Isaac had a couple sons. He had Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons. And from Jacob's 12 sons, we know about the one son, Joseph. Remember the coat of many colors, the gift that was given to him by his father? And we know that like, that was a special gift. It was meant to show love, right? But what do we know is that all of Joseph's brothers looked at him in that coat, and they got mad. They got jealous. How come dad got him the coat? He must be the favorite son, you know? Spurred on some bullying then that took place. Matter of fact, Joseph's life is pretty messy because of the hatred because of the bullying that went on, it went on to slavery. He was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned again. He went through a really tough time. And, you know, I thought about this. What if you go back in life and change a rotten moment in your life, would you? you know, a lot of us say, if I could go back, I would change that rotten moment. But what if Joseph would have changed his rotten moments? What about any of these Bible characters? Do you think through all the Bible characters and the rough times they went through, if they were said, I would, if I could go back and change it, I wouldn't do it. We would have a shorter version of this. We would probably be where we are today. Because it's through trial, it's through tribulation, it's through the messes in life that we learn and we see God show up in miraculous and incredible ways. And what happened in Joseph's life, as ugly as it may have been, God's plan for his life was incredible. Just incredible. So, Joseph is the second <clears throat> most powerful man in Egypt now. Through all that junk, he became the second most powerful man. He interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, puts him into a position, basically like, almost being like the prime minister. He is now poised and positioned to bring his own people to Egypt. So, we find the descendants of Abraham, where we started last week, and Isaac, and Jacob, Esau. Now Joseph's whole family is brought to Egypt. So here they are in Egypt. It's now about 1526 B.C. And in your Bibles, in Exodus chapter 1, let's read this. Let's start in verse 
6. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. In time, Joseph and each of his brothers died ending that generation. But their descendants had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so quickly that they soon filled the land. Then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He told his people, these Israelites are becoming a threat to us because there's so many of them. We must find a way to put an end to this. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll probably join our enemies and fight against us. Then we'll escape, then they will escape from the country. Verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves and put brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down under heavy burdens. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more quickly the Israelites, Israelites multiplied. The Egyptians soon became alarmed, decided to make their slavery even more bitter still. They were ruthless with the Israelites, forcing them to make bricks and mortar and to work long hours in the fields. 500 years after Abraham. Now remember, God told Abraham, you will have descendants like the number of stars in the sky. Again, on a clear night, think about this. You go out and look at all the stars. We can't count them, right? And God said to Abraham, you're going to have as many descendants like the stars. Okay, well, here we are. 500 years later, and there are as many as the stars, but they're all slaves now. They're all slaves to Pharaoh. Too many slaves for Pharaoh's comfort. So he does this. He commits infant homicide. He finds all the baby boys and murders them. Now, if you have girls, lucky you. If you have boys, unlucky you. All these children put to death. You know, we talked back at Christmas what happened in Connecticut and the sorrow of the schools when you lose a class. You lose a group of children. Can you imagine losing a nation of boys a couple years old? What a horrible thing. But there's one boy that survives. One boy. Out of this tragedy, one survivor. His name is Moses. Now Moses is placed, as we read further on in Exodus here, he's placed in a basket. This is what I thought was pretty incredible. He's put in the Nile River to keep hidden from the Egyptians. And the word used for basket... Here in the Hebrew is tava. Okay, let me hear you say tava. Tava, the Hebrew word here, is only used twice in the Old Testament. Used in this story when Moses is placed in this basket, a tava, which means ark. The other time this word is used is in Genesis 6-8 when Noah builds a tava, an ark. Isn't it amazing how this word used twice saved a nation? in both situations. When you think about that, uh, obviously the ark for Moses wasn't as big as Noah's, okay? But it did the same thing for Moses that it did for Noah. Saved his life and brought about new hope for God's people. Saved a child, saved a nation. It's awesome when you read through the Bible and you discover things like that to realize that God says, just like I saved them, I'm saving him. There's going to be something big coming. Just wait till you see what happens. Now, I want you to think about the Nile River. Longest river in the world, traveling over 4,000 miles. It is life-giving and life-taking. Okay? This is what we know about the Egyptians. For the Nile River, this is where they got their bath water. This is where they got their drinking water. 
This is where they got their water for their crops. It doesn't rain a lot out in the desert, so they had to have some kind of irrigation method to get water to their crops. They used it for everything they could think of. You think of today how you have water. Your water source would be the Nile River. It is life-giving, okay? But we also know this, is that the current could be really swift. It could sweep you away just like that. It could drown you. We know that the Nile is home to crocodiles. Now, were there crocodiles hanging out here in this part of the Nile? Could be. We don't know. But we do know the Nile does have crocodiles. Now, in this river, the Nile is where this ark, this basket with this baby was placed. Moms, do me a favor. What would you do to save your child if all the other moms were losing their children? You're going to save your boy. What lengths would you go to to save your son? Would you build a little ark to put in the Nile River where there might be crocodiles, where the current could swiftly take it down away, where it could be discovered and killed? What would you do to save your son? This is what Moses' mother did. Instead of letting a sword come to her child and instead of letting her son just being tossed into the river to be bait, she did what she thought she could do that would be best in this situation. You consider then the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. As she's out in the river with her maidservants, whether she was bathing, swimming, or whatever, she found this basket. And she opens it up, and she knows it's a Hebrew child. She knows that her dad has put out an order to kill all these kids. She could have very well taken the basket and just submerged it and taken care of that child right on the spot. But here's the incredible thing, is that God sparked something within this young lady to save that child. See, we sit there and we think sometimes, you know, well, God puts compassion upon the heart of the believer to do the right things. And, and unbelievers, they, people who don't have faith in God, they don't make a lot of smart choices. But isn't it amazing that God chose an unbeliever in this situation to save a future leader? Don't be surprised when God takes people who are around you who don't believe in God to do godly things. Don't be surprised by that. Because he did it here, he'll do it now. He did it then. And we shouldn't step back and say, well... I don't know if God could really work through that person. I mean, he don't even believe in God. You know, God can work through anybody he wants to work through. In this situation, he took the Pharaoh's daughter, who did not believe in God, but believed in false gods, and saved this child for an incredible future. So time passes. We know that Moses is groomed in the palace of Pharaoh. He's educated. He is trained. And in time, he learns of his history. He discovers that he's not related to the Pharaoh. He discovers that really his family, the ones that are out there making bricks, the slaves. Moses can no longer watch his people being brutalized and enslaved. As a matter of fact, he is out and about, and one of the Hebrew slaves is being whipped, being whipped so hard that he can't stand idle any longer. And he steps in. And whether it was rage, whether it was self-defense, All we know is that Moses came to the defense of this beaten slave and killed the Egyptian that was beating the slave. Moses was a murderer. And again, a lot of times we sit there and say, 
God's people are like, I don't know, they come out of a box with a halo on them, right? Is that what you think? I mean, that's what you think about pastors, right? And missionaries and all those other godly people in full-time ministry that they came out of a box with a halo. No, we've all got a bad past. We'll talk about that later, okay? But this is Moses' past. It's messed up, okay? Now, it says there that he buried him in the sand and the next day he realized that he could not cover up his sin. The next day, some Hebrew slaves looked at Moses and said, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you killed the slave master? Ooh, I've been found out. How did they know about that? Here's the thing. Our sin always finds us out. Our sin always finds us out. Repeat after me. You can't hide from sin. We all think we can. We all mess up. We try to cover it up just like Moses. I messed up. I made a mistake. I'll just cover up his body in the sand. Guess what? We try to cover up our sin. We try to cover up our mistakes, but eventually it is discovered. Our sins are revealed, and we have two choices. We can either face God, run to him, or we can run away from God. Moses tried to run. He ran, but he ended up running to a place where God would meet up with him and train him even more for greater things. Forty years later, Moses is now married. He has a son. He's in charge of these flocks of sheep out in the wilderness. And uh, he's now in front of a burning bush. Remember that part of the story? Uh, for those of you who saw the, the show last week, you know, we're all used to Charles Heston in the small bush. You know, it's like a little crackling sound, you know, whatever. This would, if you saw this special facts, you're like, whoa. You know what that made me think? It made me think that I don't know what it really looked like. I always thought that, well, that's what it looked like, right? Even though the Bible says bush. How do we know that the bush wasn't a 40-foot bush and that the flames weren't as big as this room? We don't know. Be careful that we don't let visual effects, TV shows from the past or the present put us into a box that this is what it was like. I'll just sit back and say, you know what? This is what it could have been like. It could have been greater. It could have been smaller. I don't know. God can do whatever he wants to do. If he can create the world in six days, do you think he can do anything he wants to do with a burning bush? Yeah. Okay. He uh, is now poised to lead a nation. He's been leading a flock of sheep, but now he's learning about leadership. He's learning about God. He's being prepared in this wilderness, this wilderness where eventually, he doesn't know this, but within a year, he's going to have a million people back with him in the same wilderness where he's learned the terrain, where he's learned how to handle people and flocks of people, Right? So God speaks to Moses, gives him instructions. He's empowered, he's equipped, he's encouraged. Go do something big. But see, God's people are in bondage and they need freedom. Let me hear you say freedom. One more time, let me hear you say freedom. Look at the person next to you and say freedom. Now I want you like William Wallace, go freedom! No, okay, just keeping you up here, okay. We've seen this before. Lot was captured, Abraham was rescued, and he was given freedom, right? Lot was captivated and enslaved in the city of uh, Sodom, and he tasted freedom when the angels came and brought him out. Joseph was in prison, enslaved, and uh, eventually God rescued him to a place of freedom. There's always freedom in the picture, okay? Now is the time to talk about freedom today. But to taste freedom, we have to do something else. We have to trust in God. Let me hear you say trust in God. See, God's people were people of faith. We learned that last week. Noah trusted God building the ark. Abraham trusted God by moving to a new land. His name was changed to Abraham. Abraham trusted in God when he took his son Isaac up onto a place of sacrifice. 
Lot trusted God by leaving Sodom. And then with that recurring theme, trust in God, trust in God. And if again, I told you you're going to see a bunch of stories on this TV show, but they all have a recurring theme. And last week you probably say, what was it? Well, how many times did you hear him say trust in God? Okay? There's recurring themes that go through this. And now that we need freedom from slavery, from sin, we need freedom. But to find that, we have to trust in God. Okay? Over time, these people felt that God had deserted them. I want you to think about this. For hundreds of years, they've been enslaved. If you were born today, fast forward 100 years and you're out of here. During those 100 years, all you knew was the life of a slave. You don't know what freedom is. That's these people. 400 years later, all they know is slavery. Matter of fact, from the time Moses was born to when Moses went out to the wilderness and came back to Egypt, he's 80 years old. We got this 80-year-old man walking back into Egypt thinking that anybody that was born before him, all they know is slavery. That's their life. You say freedom to them? How do you describe freedom? We can describe freedom, can't we? Here in America, we get to taste it every day. To talk about slavery, we would have no clue. God uses Moses, a convicted murderer, now forgiven, prepared to lead God's people through a series of ten plagues an 80-year-old man coming before Pharaoh saying, let my people go. So these people actually weren't his people. They were God's people. But we always say, let my people go, right? Those were God's words. He was a spokesperson for God. How is he going to show these people that God is mighty? How is God going to reveal himself through this 80-year-old man to reveal that Big things need to happen. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We know at this point in time, Lord uh, tells Moses, I'm going to make you seem like God to Pharaoh because you're going to do all these things. Moses, you're going to do incredible things, but it's me doing them. But Pharaoh's going to look at you like God because he's going to see me and you. And he starts with these incredible plagues. And they start in verse 14 of chapter 7. And again, think about this. The Lord says to Moses, verse 14, Pharaoh's very stubborn. And he continues to refuse to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh this morning. As he goes down the river, stand on the riverbank and meet him there. Be sure to take along the shepherd's staff that turned into a snake. And say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say." Let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. And from there on, this story unfolds with all these plagues. I'm going to sort of rip through these ten plagues really quick, and I want you to think about how beautiful Egypt would have looked before the plagues, how ugly and devastated it would have looked after the plagues. We have nothing to compare it to today. We really don't. If, if anything, maybe um, when Hurricane Katrina went through New Orleans, okay? Maybe if you go to the worst parts of New Orleans and see something, maybe after uh, an earthquake somewhere, maybe you have a little comparison, but let's think about this. First, there's water to blood. Again, the Nile River, this huge water source, your only water source, turns to blood. First of all, it's gross, isn't it? I mean, some people are like, oh, cool. I thought they did a great job showing the Pharaoh in the water, 
coming up out of the water completely covered in blood. We just sort of like, oh, you know, whatever. When you really think about it, how nasty that is. How gross that is. How he would have smelt. You're taking a bath, you're drinking a cup of water, and it turns to blood. Whatever you can think about today, anytime you have water around you, when you're watering the plants, you know, and, or you're, you're drinking water, and all of a sudden you just think, that just, boom, turned to blood. That was the first plague. And then you think about this, what lives in the water? Fish, right? That's a major resource of food for these people to go fishing, to, to find something to eat. And guess what? They're just floating to the top now. They're dying because they need water to survive, not blood. Now it's really stinking. You know what's funny is the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, matched it. Hey, Pharaoh, we can do this too. Watch. They're turning the water to blood too. They didn't help the situation, did they? They're like, Pharaoh should have been like, hey, how about you turn it back to water? They didn't do that, you know. Second plague was, it happened actually, it says a week later, was frogs, okay? Chapter 8, verse 1. Lord said, go to, uh, Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, once again tell him, hey, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. If for you refuse, I will send a vast hordes of frogs across your entire land from one border to the other. It says they covered the land frogs everywhere everywhere can you please let that sink in for a little bit you pull up your sock drawer frogs right you open the fridge frogs now they didn't have fridges back then but I want you to think everywhere you look there it is you lift up the toilet seat there's frogs there I mean there's just everywhere frogs you sit down on the couch you're sitting on a frog okay they're sitting on you they're everywhere can you imagine the noise of frogs? I love it when you're out at night at like somebody's pond or lake and you hear the frogs around uh, the pond just, you know, bellowing and rah, rah. Now, could you imagine hundreds of thousands of frogs just rah, 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 you know, it's, and you're all thinking of the Budweiser commercial, Budweiser, okay? Just, that's an old one. Some of you are like, huh? Yeah, I'm sorry, age myself. Um, YouTube it. Anyway. Can you imagine that just deafening sound of all these frogs when they covered the land and it just drove Pharaoh crazy? And he said, would you get rid of the frogs? And I love this. You read, read through this. We didn't see this on the TV. Read through chapter 8 because uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, you want rid of the frogs? Yes, get rid of the frogs. When do you want me to do it? Tomorrow. And I'm thinking, Pharaoh, how about today? <laughs> I mean, Pharaoh goes, do it tomorrow, would you please? Okay, have fun with the frogs tonight in your bed. Uh, but he did it, and it's funny because, again, the magicians match it. Hey, look, we can make frogs come out of the Nile too. You know, it's like, more frogs? Would you stop it? You know, his magicians sort of didn't help, okay? The third plague is the plague of gnats, verse 16, chapter 8. It says that it became, and we've got to read this verse. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron to strike the dust with his staff. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats through the land of Egypt. You like it when gnats are flying around your bananas at home? Those fruit flies, those, those, those little gnats everywhere. And it's like, ah, oh, I hate them. Like two or three, right? Dust. Next time, you know, this spring sometime, you get outside, you just get a big pile of dust or the kids are in a sandbox. You just pull that up. And if you were just to like throw it up in the air, and again, maybe you don't want to do this, but if you were to do that and just pretend those are all gnats. Now that's just where you just threw them, okay? But now it's covering the whole land. The whole land is covered again. Again, the magicians try to do it, but this time the magicians try it. They can't do it. And what do they say? This is the finger of God. In other words, 
God is real, Pharaoh. This is number three. There's seven more to go, and the Pharaoh is not budging at all. Number four, flies. This was on Egypt, remember this. It was not on the Hebrews. So what's amazing thing is if there was a boundary between Egypt and the land where the Israelites, the Hebrews were living, you could sort of take one step over here and all of a sudden, no flies. Okay? Come over here, flies. Okay? Number five, the death of livestock. Again, as you're reading through chapter 9, go back to Pharaoh, Lord commanded Moses, tell him this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you continue to press them and refuse to let them go, the Lord will send a deadly plague to destroy your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, and sheep. Any livestock you have. By the way, that's your income. That's your source of milk. That's your source of food. Gone. Plague number six, boils. Personal pain. Embarrassment. You know, your own image is being tattered and bruised and bubbling up and boiling and oozing and you're like grossed out. Can't do anything about it. Matter of fact, if you read in here about the boils, uh, chapter 9, verse 8, it says that the magicians, verse 11, even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them too. They weren't even showing up at the court anymore. It's like, Pharaoh, we want to show up, but not today, man. These bulls are just killing us. We're not coming in. Next plague, the seventh plague was hail. Hail destroyed and basically left Egypt in ruins. It says the trees were destroyed. As you remember the hailstorm that came through a few years back, all the damage it did in our area here was pretty incredible, okay? Imagine a hailstorm covering the whole land of Egypt, not just a sort of a strip of an area, but the whole land where the trees were actually destroyed. Now, I want you to think what this land of Egypt is looking like. The water's bloody, okay? You've got frogs all over, the stench of now dead frogs throughout this land. You've got gnats that have been bothering. You've got flies that are all around. You've got livestock that are just laying in fields dead. Then you have boils coming upon yourself, and now it brings down hail that just is just wiping everything out. The eighth one is locusts. If there's anything left standing, any grains, any fields with corn or anything, wheat, guess what? Destroyed. That which wasn't destroyed by the hell, food, income, personal comfort, whatever, is now gone because of the locusts that come in and chew away everything. You can imagine what it's like when a swarm of locusts come in. It blocks the sun. It would have been like night. It would have been incredibly scary. Again, we can't relate because we've never seen anything yet, right? And yet, all this, Pharaoh says, nope, nope. Not going to let my, those people go. They're not your people. They're my people. They're my slaves. At what point in time can you be so stubborn and you see God so evident in your life that it doesn't hit you and wake up and say, why am I not doing anything about this? Plague number nine was darkness. Very scary, very fearful. People, it says in chapter 10, Turn to that, chapter 10, verse 23. Moses lifted his hand toward heaven. There was deep darkness over the entire land for three days. During all that time, the people scarcely moved because they couldn't see. Three days. You're not moving anywhere. You don't have a flashlight. You don't have any kind of light at all. You're just sort of scooting yourself around the house because it's so dark. Not enough yet. The last plague. 
was the firstborn would be killed. The blood of the firstborn is required for a sacrifice. So they took the lambs, and if you remember, they took the lambs and they, they took the blood and they put it on the doorposts at the top and at the sides, like a cross at the doorposts. And when the angel came and passed, passed over any house that had done that. That's why they call it the Passover. That's why they celebrate it every year afterwards since then. This was the final event. And Pharaoh finally caved and said, get out of here. You are free. You are free. And here you say freedom. They now have freedom, finally, in their lives. Moses and Aaron are talking about this as they leave Egypt. And you have to sit there and think, what was it like when they left Egypt? You've got a million people behind you following you. You're walking out. Aaron's right there with you, and you're talking like, wow place smells. It's devastated. And we're leaving. You look back and you see a million people and you're like, we're in charge of them? Woo. What's the conversation like? Think about that. That's another lunch conversation with you today. You can have at home. Okay? A little different than turning around and seeing those dumb sheep, right? Matter of fact, sheep, you have to push them. You have to herd them. People, they will follow the leader. They will. What are they talking about as they go towards the Red Sea? Well, I wonder what Moses is thinking as God says, okay, we're going, we're going back. Remember where you saw me, that burning bush? We're going we're gonna to go around. Oh, I want you to come back this direction along the Red Sea. I know you've been heading one way. I want you to come back now. Oh, man, you're pinned in by the mountains and the Red Sea. and Oh, boy. About that time, Pharaoh gets mad and realizes, I have nothing left in the city. It's empty. The people who did everything for me are gone. Go get them. And he sends his chariots to go after them. And the people are pinned in. Why did God send them on that route? You ever wonder that? Turn to Exodus chapter 13. My son asked me this. This is great. I mean, like I said, as we've been watching this, I've realized, you know, some of us are like, I have not taught my kids enough Bible. Other parents have said, I'm so thankful for GPS in our children's church because they know these stories because they've been learning them. It's been great to hear all these things. Chapter 13, verse 17, um, one of my sons said, Dad, why didn't, Mo- why didn't Moses go that route towards the Red Sea? I mean, when God pulled him out of the wilderness to go back to Egypt, he didn't cross over the Red Sea. He went around. So why, did he, why didn't he take his people the other way? Chapter 13, verse 17. Let's read this. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them on the road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest way from Egypt to the promised land, God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them along a route, a route through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites left Egypt like a marching army. Moses took the bones of Joseph with them, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear that they would take the bones with them when God led them out of Egypt, as he uh, was sure God would. As they left, they camped along the edge of the wilderness. The Lord guided them by a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of night, fire at night. That way they could travel whether it was day or night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar or cloud or fire from their sight. Now, the Lord gave him instructions, and if you read on into chapter 4, that he says, guess what? Pharaoh's heart is going to get hard, and he's going to come and chase you down. Look at verse 4 of chapter 14. Once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after you. I've 
planned this. Okay, so it wasn't Moses with wrong direction, okay? God planned for them to go the wrong direction and come back. Why? Read this. So that I will receive great glory at the expense of Pharaoh and his armies. God says, I want everyone around to know that I am God. This is what you're going to find out. As we trust in God, God does mighty things. Trust in God takes courage. I mean, you think about that. You hear the chariots coming in after you. Your fear starts getting invoked a little bit more. You've got the Red Sea here. You've got the chariots here. You think you're toast. There's no way. Why? We're, not, we're not soldiers. We're slaves. We're not a fight. We work. We take your orders. Here come the slave masters. We're just going to throw up the white flags, right? Trust in God. Trust in God. Moses goes, and you remember the Red Sea parting. They went across on dry ground, as the Bible says. Okay, the TV show makes it look dramatic. It was incredibly dramatic. And I want to tell you something. They did it in about five minutes. Man, they, they booked across, didn't they? It probably took a full day. Check it out. The Bible tells us exactly where they were camped and where they were pinned in between two spots. And if you look on the map where these two spots are, it's the uh, Strait of Tyran. It's, it's a long distance across. It would take a full day to walk across once those rivers part and go. So God miraculously parted this sea. The ground is dry, and it takes them a day to get across with the, with the uh, pillar of fire separating them and the chariots until they're out, Pharaoh's people are in, the soldiers are in, and God closes the Red Sea. Probably a bitter, bittersweet moment. Okay? We sit there and say, yes, victory. But you know what? It had to be a little bitter too because so many people died that day not knowing God. That's a sad thing sad thing. But it's a sweet thing because now they now have freedom again. Now everybody in the promised land heard what happened with the Red Sea. See, that's part of God's plan. Fear is now invoked into the lives of so many other nations. This God is real. This God is, is truly real. Now we're going to fast forward to Jericho. We're going to wrap up the sermon this morning. There's obviously so much more they, they're going to take 10 hours to do this. I only get five. So I don't know how that's going to happen. But I want to share with you things as I'm reading through and studying and learning that really just provoke a lot of thought in my heart, my mind, about trusting in God and about freedom. Because these slaves were finally free. And you're going to see about Rahab, and I believe it's going to be in the episode tonight, about Rahab, the prostitute who lived in Jericho, by the way, she is a descendant of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God uses anybody, okay? God uses anybody. She gets to taste freedom because she trusts in God. She trusts in God. And I know a lot of times in our lives, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. There's a lot of times in our lives where we sit back and we say, my story, the stories that we tell around, sometimes our stories are sad, Okay? Uh, sort of like Rahab, she was known for one thing in that city, and it was not a good thing. You know, she was a prostitute. That's all we need to say. It was bad news. It was unfortunate where she was at in her life. Okay? But here's the deal. All of us have one of those things in our lives, too. Jesus said, if you think lustfully, guess what? You're an adulterer. If you struggle with anger, you're a murderer. You tell lies, you're a liar. You take something that doesn't belong to you, you're a thief. We are all guilty of sin in one way or another, just as Rahab was. Okay? 
the incredible thing is, is the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. When he says we've all fallen short of the glory of God, let me hear you say all. Guess what that word means? All. Yeah, man, you guys are good. Okay? I knew you were good. But just like in the story with Rahab, she had a choice. She could help the slaves, I'm sorry, the spies that came in. She could help them escape. And she could make the right choice in her life. Or she could have not hidden the spies. And just sort of, I don't want to do this, okay? I don't want to get involved with you and your God. But she made a choice to step in and say, I'm going to help you spies find some freedom. I'm going to help you out because I've heard about your God. And I love it. Because she, she talks about this in Joshua chapter 6. She goes, we've heard about how the sea parted. Remember, that was part of God's plan. I'm telling you, what he did then was part of a big plan. She made the great choice, and that's the great thing is we get the same choice. No matter what we've done in our life, no matter what bad choices we've made, no matter what kind of history we have, no matter whether we have stolen, whether we've lied, whether we have lusted in our hearts, whether we have been angry, whether we have gossiped, whatever sin that we struggle with, God says you still have a choice. Just like Ray, you have a choice. So my question to you this morning is, have you made that right choice? She took that scarlet cord, remember, uh, and, and she placed it outside the window. And they knew that when the Jericho was going to be conquered, they would find Rahab and her family, and they would be saved. It was a symbol of salvation. Scarlet cord, red like blood, just like the Passover on the door, just like the blood of Christ. You see recurring themes throughout the Bible. She was saved, and her story is now marked by a scarlet cord, a good thing. I want to ask you, your life right now, you may not say like, You've been enslaved like the people of God, the, the Israelites. Maybe you've never been, I don't know what it means to have a taskmaster, right? Although I know sometimes kids, you're like, my mom and dad treat me like a slave, right? You know, We don't know what it's like, but you know what we are enslaved to? We are enslaved to sin at times. We need to trust in God to find freedom from that sin. That starts today. That starts today. So let's, let's start the right way. Let's taste freedom, not from our job, whatever, but freedom from sin. Because when you have freedom from sin, you can worship God so much more fully. You can live for Him in a way that honors Him so much more. So let's do this. Would you please stand with me and we're going to pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we can come and worship you today. I want to thank you, Lord, that we are able to gather here to sing songs to you, then to open up your word and see these stories. God, thank you so much that we could learn about how they trusted you. All these biblical characters, they were real people. They trusted you in tough times, in good times, in horrible situations. They trusted you. But even as they trusted you, sometimes they found themselves enslaved, whether it was physically or spiritually. But they found freedom. They found freedom from slavery physically. They found freedom from slavery spiritually. And Lord, I'm so thankful that today we live in a country that is free. Thank you for that physical freedom. But Lord, unfortunately, we are still 
in chains to sins. Lord, we, we still struggle with making bad choices. Some of us are addicted to things that are just bringing us down. Lord, may today be a day where we come to you and ask for forgiveness. Ask for you to spiritually free us from these sins. And to trust you for tomorrow. Lord, I think sometimes we're afraid to stop certain sins because we don't know what's going to happen if we stop. We don't know how to act. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. So Lord, show us what freedom from sin feels like to be able to freely worship you with no guilt, with no pain. We want that. So Lord, right now where we're standing, each and every one of us in this room, examine our hearts, God. If there's something in there we need to ask for forgiveness of, Lord, start poking at our heart. Lord, what is it we need to ask for forgiveness of? Free us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. May we spiritually taste freedom. Thank you. Lord, as we sing to you now, may you be honored with these words. We want to bless you, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord for all that you've done for us. We celebrate this as we leave today. In thy name we pray.